Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, the host and producer of Confabulation. Confabulation is Montreal's only monthly all-true storytelling series. The first Saturday of every month, you can catch true stories of people's lives, well, told as true as we can tell them. This podcast features a story from Asaf Gerchak. Asaf told the story back in 2011 under the theme of kids stuff. Stories of the people we used to be. Now, Saf is a favorite of the show. He's also one of the founders of the No More Radio Network. But this story is terrifying. Okay, it's not terrifying. It's just awesome. Please enjoy a Saf Gerchak. Hi, hello. Uh, so, I kind of I know that I know that Megan uh, said you know like her story doesn't have a moral, but there was like a lesson there, and a lot of people in the first half had had kind of moral endings to their story. And that's, that's, I wasn't like informed, so I'm just, I want to like out the gate be like, there's no, there is nothing to learn <laughs> or, or gain, like you're not going to be better people at the end of this. <laughs> like, it's, I, like the lesson might be like, kids are kind of dumb, but yeah, like I don't, you know, cause seriously, like useless, but, uh, but I was so just, you know. I want to, and, and okay, so what I'm going to talk about is something that I feel is like one of the most fundamental parts of the kid experience, which is psychotic, all-encompassing, irrational fears. Uh, and I think, and, and I want to clarify that because I know that like adults have irrational fears, but it's not quite the same. The fear in adults, yes, it's irrational. It's not logical. And we know that but it doesn't dominate you in quite the same ways as when you're a kid. That's why if, if there's an arachnophobe, if there's anybody here who's an arachnophobe, you've probably done this before, if you see a spider and you like jump out of the way and everyone's like, what's wrong? You go, I have a fear of spiders. I have an irrational fear of spiders. Just the fact that you can stop and say that means that you have some modicum of control over that fear. If a kid's afraid of spiders and sees spiders and it's like, ah! and you're like, what's wrong? The kid's like, ah, ah! and you're like, that's not helping me. I can't fix any, and the kid's like, ah, because it's just, just dominates their braids, their tiny little heads. Can't take all that emotion, you know? And like, and, and so I think, I think that, and also, I mean, obviously, you know, you're not as mature, you don't understand things as well. So fear ends up being a big part of, of youth, of, of kidship youth. Good. Um, <laughs> just, just speak for a living. Um, the, the, okay, so, and, and, I, for me, one of my biggest fears when I was a kid, like I, maybe the biggest sort of consistent irrational fear that I had was of animals in general. Not like, oh, I'm afraid of this vicious. I did not grow up with any animals around. So I don't have that, I didn't have that thing where I was like, oh, that's adorable. I just, everything was like, was like a moving sentient thing with sharp parts to me. And I just, and I was scared of that. I was really, really scared of that. I grew up next to a very big dog and it wasn't like close enough for me to get close, just close enough for me to be scared to death. And but I, so if any of you grew up with animals, you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea what it's like to be so scared of those animals when you're a kid. And so this is a story though about moving away from my house. This is a story about the absolute climax of my terror in every way, again, of the real, of the unreal, of everything. And okay, so set the scene. I went to I went to summer camp, sleepaway summer camp, growing up in the woods of Ontario, like really in the sticks. And if any of you have been in that sort of kind of natural environment, you know that every natural environment has its its local animals. Some are scary, some are sweet, blah blah blah. This the scary the scariest ones that we had to deal with in Ontario. I mean, there are some bears walking around Ontario, but they don't go near humans. They stay away. The ones that come near humans are raccoons. Okay, has. Just, has anybody here ever been in an environment where they constantly might or do come close to raccoons? Has that ever happened to anyone? Yes, okay, so you guys will understand what I'm about to explain 
about the nature of the raccoon. And the rest of you need to understand what sets raccoons apart from other potentially vicious animals. I, after I went to this summer camp, I grew up, I was a counselor at summer camps all over North America. I've dealt with a lot of different kinds of animals. I, was, I went to a summer camp on Vancouver Island in BC. This is completely true. The big concern there was if you're walking through the woods, you might run into a cougar. Okay? A cougar! Just, if you don't know, the thing you do when you run into a cougar, it's not like a bear where you go, and the bear's like, oh, okay, I'm whatever, dude. You're a little too confident. Like, it's, it's bears have very low self-esteem. And they gotta, and they can't deal with, if you're like, I'm good looking, and they're like, okay, so whatever. Um, I go eat, sadly. Um, they're a big ice cream market. I don't know, okay, focus. I have like a time limit, it's not gonna work. Uh, cougars, the thing to do if you meet a cougar, good advice, in case you ever meet a cougar, I'm not making this up. We were taught this by like a nature expert when we started working at the camp. They were like, you, you basically grab for the biggest stick you can find and fight for your miserable life, okay? Now that sounds bad, but we're counselors on camping trips. We have to explain that to kids. You have to be like, Billy. <laughs> If you go to the washroom or something, and you run into a cougar, you're gonna have to fight that cougar, okay? <laughs> and the kids, like, the kids are just like, all right. <laughs> Thankfully, thank goodness they didn't have some sense of what we were telling them. Billy, you're gonna die. <laughs> oh. The thing is, when a bear attacks you, when a, when a cougar attacks you, they're not attacking you. They're attacking you because, f straight up, they're scared, they're hungry, they have these instincts. A lot of the time, it's just fear. It's just fear, especially with bears. People always say that bear attacks, oh, they're such vicious creatures. They're not. They're scared to death of human beings, and it's fight or flight. They gotta do something. Raccoons are not like that. Raccoons are possessed of a soul of evil, malicious <laughs> hatred. And you think like, oh, that's just like maybe not. I've looked them in the eyes. There's, there's like a comprehension on a sentient human level of just like, oh, I hate you. There's a Satan inside. And I know you guys are like, well, you probably had an incident. I did, but that's not, I learned, all right? That doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. Now, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> As we go through this, um, so we eat some. Okay, I was my, one of my first years. I was my second year, 1996. I was 13 years old, uh, and we were there, and and it was lights out one night, and we decided our whole bunk of the guys. The way lights out works is not a curfew. You don't have to go to bed. You just have to turn off the lights, be in your bunk, but you can stay up and talk, listen to music, do whatever you do. And we always did. And one night we decide to listen to an album that is called Paul is Dead. Has anyone here ever heard of it? Sweet, you guys gotta go home and download it. Here's what it is. It is an album that narrates the full spectrum of facts around a conspiracy theory that rose in the 60s that said that early in the Beatles' career, Paul McCartney died and the success of the Beatles was too important so they replaced him with the winner of a Paul McCartney look-alike contest. <laughs> now you guys are like, mm, that's dumb, who believed that? Do you wanna know how big it got? Time Magazine did a cover story debunking the myth. That's not like some small college paper. It's Time Magazine, it's a big deal. It was huge, it was everywhere. And this album was made, and it's like an hour long, you can find it all over the internet. This album was made that's like, 
Like, it, you know, Paul is dead. And dude, how did he die? He supposedly, this is how the theory goes, he was driving home from a gig one night and he picked up a hitchhiker, this woman named Rita. She gets in the car with him, starts driving. She recognizes her hero. She jumps all over him, bam, into a telephone pole, dead. That's dark, and where's the evidence, right? The evidence is peppered throughout the Beatles albums. Because when you cover up the death of a person and don't want the world to know, what you do is that you hint at it constantly in the biggest selling albums in the entire world. Good musicians, bad conspiracists. Um, it's not a word. Um, basically, they have stuff like in Lovely Rita. It's about her. I drove her home, I nearly made it. And we're sitting there listening to it like, he nearly made it? That means he didn't make it, he died. <laughs> Terror. In, uh, in A Day in the Life, A Day in the Life, that's the news story, that's about Paul. He blew his mind out in a car. He died in a car accident. The whole thing is narrated by this man with this terrifying voice. And he says everything in a very scary voice. And there's a lot of scary music playing. Not Beatles, because that's really not that scary. This kind of love me do isn't gonna be like, mm, you know. I, he narrates the whole thing. And just before we started listening to it, this guy named Ari, who was like the cool dude in the bunk, just as we put it on, he goes, yo, I hear after narrating this, this guy committed suicide. <laughs> And we're all like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Which really, if he did, he probably had problems. Like, I doubt it was the narration. <laughs> he was probably had a sad life. That's upsetting. That's like, we should, okay. <laughs> so we start listening to it, and the evidence, oh, the evidence in this terrifying voice, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the albums. A little help from my friends. What would you do if I sang out of tune? That's because that, that person who had won the lookalike contest hadn't quite perfected the sound of Paul McCartney's <laughs> voice yet. Man, you listen to Revolution Number no. 9, you know where it goes, number nine, number nine. That's something called backmasking. If you can play that album backwards, and there's ways to do that, you can hear, you can hear them say, turn me on, dead man, turn me on, dead man. Now, you guys are laughing, but we're 13 in a darkened cabin in the middle of the woods, and we're listening to this guy explain to us in a terrifying voice the fact that if you listen to I'm So Tired in the gobbledygook part, he had a scarier word than gobbledygook, in the gobbledygook part where it's like, blah, 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 blah. if you play it backwards, you can hear John say, Paul is a dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him, miss him, miss him, miss him. And they play it for you. And we got so terrified. Every detail, the album covers the music. The covers the album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The entire cover is celebrities who died before their time. There's a hand over Paul's head, which in many cultures is a way that you bless the dead before putting them in the ground, all right? Paul is the only one of the Beatles on the outside and on the inside of the album when you open it up who's head on. The other ones are at an angle, as if they're propping him up because he's a corpse. <laughs> Stick with me. There's a little girl in the corner. She's wearing a shirt that says, Welcome the Rolling Stones, because they're the only legit band now. And she's holding a car just like the one that Paul used to drive, and the inside is stained blood red. He's wearing, on the inside of the album, when you open it up, he's wearing a patch on his shoulder that says, OPD, officially pronounced dead. Okay? Abbey Road, the cover of Abbey Road, they're all walking across the street, looks like a nice scene, but it's not. John is wearing a white suit like a priest. Ringo is wearing a black suit like an undertaker. George is wearing work boots, work pants, and a shirt that he can do a lot of work in. I don't know how to work work. He's wearing a shirt that he can do a lot of work in. He's a grave digger. Paul is barefoot, torn jeans, cigarette in hand. He is a corpse. It is a funeral procession. 
for Paul, because he's dead. And we're all like this most convincing thing we've ever heard. And we're so scared. We're so scared to our stupid kid cores, and we just can't deal. And the album ends, and we're all just like in this terrified silence. And we're like, what do we do? Well, maybe, maybe it's not real. Maybe it's not real. Maybe we should, let's put on some Beatles albums. Let's hear if that stuff's in there. Now, we don't have a way to listen to tracks backwards, so what we do is that we put on Strawberry Fields forever. Now, you know the, like, noise at the end of Strawberry Fields? Like, you guys go home and listen to it if you don't. It's, you know. The very, very end of that, it kind of comes back in, and just as it's fading away, you got to turn it up, you can hear John's voice go, he says something. There's been a lot of theories about what it was that he said there, but I'm going to tell you what he says there, and for the rest of your life, this is all you'll hear. Turn it up loud. He distinctly says, I buried Paul. <laughs> At this point, a boy named Joshua literally faints. <laughs> another boy, another boy named Michael begins weeping. We pour water on Josh, we wake him up. We're like, guys, we gotta go get some juice from the dining hall. And we're off to the dining hall. It's the only place that's lit up the entire night. There's juice there all night long. We gotta get there for safety. 13-year-old boys don't like each other, in case you don't know that. We hate each other, but we are holding hands in a single line and walking through the night because Paul McCartney is dead. Why would that be an issue for anyone besides Paul McCartney and his close family, baby? But we're... We get to the dining hall. We're drinking juice in just embarrassed, frightened silence. We're staying close to each other. And I'm not making this up. This is all true. We hear, in our terrified sounds, we hear from outside on the porch that leads in, heavy, slow footsteps. Sounds like something out of a ghost story. It is not. I heard it, I was there, I swear to you. These footsteps just and we freeze. Just all of us simultaneously just And they're coming towards the door. And we see a shadow underneath the wall, because we have like cabins, so it's, there's holes. <laughs> we see the shadow approach and we're like, and walks before us into the light. I swear to you, the largest raccoon I have ever laid eyes on. It was a meter long. And it looked at us with its Satan's eyes and we all just went. And it showed no fear. And one of the boys, specifically Ari, the cool one, pointed at it and said, it's Paul, he's back from hell. Why would Paul McCartney be in hell? We went back to the cabin and protected ourselves with the only thing that stops demons, which is blankets and mattresses. And they found us the following morning in a terror pile in the middle of the floor. Because that's my story. Thank you very much. Yeah. 
Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 